Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. You guys really love each other. <laughs> hey, let, let me add a couple thoughts to uh, what we just talked about. Um, the equipping classes that are coming up next week, there's actually a table out in the colonnade to give you a little bit more information about those classes or you can sign up if you're not real um, computer savvy and you want to just sign up out there, you can do that. It's, there's a description, I think, of the classes as well. So uh, after the service is over with, please take some time to, to check that out. Those classes are going to be very, very helpful, I think. And I hope as you look at that list, there's at least one thing there that you feel it would be beneficial to you. Also, this is Communion Sunday. We will, be, we will have a communion at the end of my message. So if you get up now or anytime during my message, I'll just assume you're going to go get some, one of these. You know, that's what you're doing. So let me uh, add my greeting to everyone. Uh, it's great to see everyone. We had an amazing time yesterday at the uh, Perry Hall Fair. Uh, and Shanahan, we don't give enough shout outs to her, but she did an incredible job. You know, she does an amazing job. She makes, she makes me look good with uh, my outreach events. So, um, and if you're uh, online with us, thank you for joining here with us. We are in our series uh, in First Peter, uh, Not Home Yet. And the theme of uh, First Peter is, you know, how do we live in this world? How, how are we to conduct ourselves in this world? In chapter two that we've been in, um, it kind of talks about a strategy, a general strategy of how you live in this world. We've, we've talked about with civil authorities. Uh, we've talked about our, our homes. We've talked about our jobs. And so we're going to be dropping into uh, another portion of that of how do we live in this world today. And our title for this message today is Blessed for Blessing Others. And we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. Verses 8 to 12, you can, we'll have the verses up on the screen, but if you have a Bible, you want to use it, your phone app, that's great too. Um, the big idea for our message today is this. It says, do not repay evil with evil, but bless and do good that you may be blessed. Do not repay evil with evil, but bless and do good that you may be blessed. And I want to read our text before I pray. So... Uh, starting in verse 8, it says this. Finally, all of you have humility of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him speak peace, seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Lord, you caution the church in Laodicea about being lukewarm. Because they, were, they thought they were rich. They thought that they didn't really need anything. Uh, they didn't realize how wretched they were. They didn't realize how, how poor and blind and naked they were. And so, Lord, we want to have your eyesight today. We want you to put the salve on our eyes so that we could see what you see. We want you to open the eyes of our heart 
Lord, that we can see from your word, your truth. Lord, we want our hearts to be humble today and not quick to dismiss or excuse ourselves. We want to not only hear these things, but we want to change. We want to be more like Jesus. Please don't let us stay the way we are, Lord. We, we are in so great a need in such a dark world and have such an opportunity to be a means of your truth and your grace and present your gospel in a way that's compelling. Help me, Lord, today as I share to be clear and to be faithful to your truth, I pray. Lead us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when I read through the New Testament, there are accounts and there are stories that just shock you, you know, especially if you've never really heard these stories before and you're just kind of anticipating a certain response. But some of these, these accounts that we're familiar with, you know, if you think back on when you first heard about this, you'd think, wow, that is so cool. or That is so amazing that that person would respond that way. I just, you know, I just... That would have been so neat if that was me, you know, to be a part of that. And I think about some of those illustrations, you know, I think about the woman caught in adultery, you know, and how, you know, she was actually sinning and she was actually caught and there was a law and there was a justice for that. And she was, you know, in kind of a, a slick way was dragged out there in front of Jesus and, you know, presented to him and like, what are we going to do with this woman? Knowing that, you know, she should have been stoned together with her partner, which they didn't bring out. But Jesus, having a heart for that woman, somehow didn't respond, and he just waited, and he, then he said, you know, whoever is without sin, let them cast the first stone. And then he waited, and then one by one they left. And then he looked on that woman, and he said, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, there, there are none. And he said, well, neither do I accuse you, go and sin no more. That, that's just amazing. That's just amazing. And then you think about the prodigal son. You have this son, rebellious, selfish, disrespects his father, publicly demands his inheritance that would have come to him after his father passed. His father somehow divided things up and gave the inheritance. His son just left rebelled, squandered everything, spent his life with prostitutes and sinful living, got so desperate that he was just hungry, came back in shame, dishonor. And we think of the father's response to that and how he had been watching for his son. And when he saw his son just starting back, instead of having any kind of anger or resentment or resolve against his son, ran to his son, sprinted to his son. In front of all his neighbors, ran to his son. And he grabbed his son, and he was in love with his son, and he wrapped his arms around him and kissed him. And his son began his apologies, and the father just cut him off and said, you know, go get the best for my son. Wrap him in a new robe and put a ring on his finger. We're going to have a feast. And he called for a feast. Shocking, but amazing. 
And then we think about the story of the Good Samaritan, a people that were hated, the Samaritans, by the Jews. They wouldn't even pass through their, ground, their, their lands. They didn't, even, they didn't even want to be in their towns or cities. They just wanted to stay away from them. I thought so lowly of them. And who was it after the religious leaders saw this Jewish man robbed and beaten up? Religious people just had their own agenda. They had their own other plans and they probably acknowledged him, but they just kept going. And the one who stopped was probably the one who had been cursed by the Jews, who had been rejected by the Jews. And he took his own time, his own money, his own love, his own care, and made sure that that Jewish man was taken care of. And we have Stephen in the book of Acts who was preaching Jesus and talking about Jesus and pointing to Jesus with you know, the, the Jewish people around him and the religious leaders, and they stoned him. And as he was perishing and as he was saying, Lord, receive my spirit, he said, he said, Lord, don't hold this against them. Don't hold this against them. Now that is the New Testament Christianity that was turning the world upside down. That kind of way that people were learning from Jesus is what was shocking to a, a world that was against them. That was shocking to them. It's shocking in a good way to us. It's like, really? That's how you're going to deal with that? But I think as we look at our, our, our text today, I think we're going to see God wants more of the same from us in this time. And how we live on this side of heaven is kind of like the way we saw how Jesus was living in the same place. And our big idea, I said to you, we uh, don't have to go back to it, but don't repay evil with evil, but bless and do good that you may be blessed is what we want to look at today. So let's look at our first point. Believers turn from evil. In verse 9 it says this, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. And I'll stop there for a moment. Don't get revenge. Don't act like those people who are harsh, evil, wrong, hard, you know, hard-hearted towards you. Don't, don't tell one another, well, they're mostly, you know, they started it, or, you know, or, you know, they're 90% of their, I know what, how I said it back to them wasn't kind, but they're wrong, and what they did was wrong. He says, don't do that. Don't repay evil with evil, or reviling with reviling. And it goes on. On the contrary, bless for you call for this you recall that you may receive a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Let him turn away. You know, first response to evil and when people are doing things is we need to turn away from that. We don't, we don't imitate that. 
We don't copy it. We don't give them back what they deserve. We don't do that. Turn away from that. Turn away from evil. And it says here, you know, there's this feeling of kind of getting even. And, and, and we need to kind of bring this down to our own households, I think, and how we raise our families. Um, and what we, how we see, you know, when one child responds back to another child or a child responds to a parent or you respond to your kids. Or we, we need to think about this in the church, how we respond to someone who we think says something wrong or evil towards us. Don't do that. Don't return evil for evil. Don't, don't revile back if you get reviled to our coworkers, to our, to our nation, to people who are different than us. Don't do that, the scripture says. You may feel like they're getting what they deserve or they need to learn a lesson or they underst- only understand this kind of talk. It says, keep your lips from speaking deceit and turn away from evil. Keep your tongue from evil. And I think about evil words and actions. You know, this this word reviling has the idea of being abusive and insulting. And how much of our speech can be that? Abusive and insulting. And uh, so next next slide. In Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 it says the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate and so look here in the context here what is the the fear of the Lord mean it means you hate evil but what's the evil described here evil is pride evil is arrogance evil is it's way of evil and perverted speech somehow in our Christian cultures today, we, we've excused those kinds of things. But, you know, in this context, it says, look, if you fear God, you don't talk that way. There's not haughtiness in your speech. There's not self-righteousness in how you talk to somebody you disagree with. There's not. There's not perverted speech. Proverbs 16, says, A worthless man plots evil. And his speech is like a scorching fire. If, you're, if your words are like a scorching fire, you're compared to the, worthless, to the worthless man. A worthless man. Proverbs 17, 7 says, Fine speech is not becoming to a fool, still less is false speech to a prince. And so how we talk and what we say matter. And it's even, the the only two options we have here is it's either foolishness or it's like that of a prince. And if you're in Christ and God is your king, you want your speech to reflect that you belong to his family and not to the family of a fool. The fool says in his heart there's no God. So how we speak reflects whether we fear God, respects whether we are worthless or not, and whether we 
really honor the family that we belong to. So believers, we see here, turn from evil, but secondly, believers instead do good. You know, uh, it's not enough to know what we're against. And I think for Christians today, you know, if you were to talk to the public and you were to talk to those who are not part of the church, many times or too many times, they, they kind of think of Christianity as what they're against, what, they, what evils they think are out there. But when I think about Jesus, I think about these other, these other accounts in the New Testament that we just talked about. I'm not just thinking about what he's against. I'm thinking about the good he does, the grace that he demonstrates, the words that reflect love and concern and care. Believers don't just turn from evil. Believers instead do good. We're going to look at verse 8. We're going to take a little time with verse 8 in particular. 1 Peter 3.8 says, Finally, all of you, and he's speaking especially to the churches here, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Unity of mind means you have the same thoughts and attitudes. You're thinking harmoniously. Now, that's, that's something that we will be striving for until Jesus comes back and tells us what's really true. But harmony, you know, can be had even when we have different differences of opinions. Because we, we hold so much to the gospel and so much to the values and the virtue that, that makes us, you know, sons of God and daughters of God. And so there is a harmonious way as we're working together to really agree and understand one another. Sympathy, you know, we see in he, the book of Hebrews that Jesus himself sympathizes with us. He understands our frame. He understands our circumstances. And he can, he can come close to us because as a high priest, he knows what it's like to be in your situation and with your temptations and with your difficulties. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He enters into our needs and concerns. He doesn't exploit us. He shares and supports us. Brotherly love, this word is used specifically of Christians in the church. And God's people, the church, should especially have a unique love for one another, a unique care for each other, a unique commitment and demonstration of unity of mind. A tender heart has to do with caring and compassionate heart. This is the word that's used when it talks about this father and the prodigal son and how this father, from his deepest, most innermost meaning, he had compassion and cared about that rebellious child of his who had just squandered everything that he had, he had saved up for his whole life of work, the father had. And yet he saw that son and he cared for that son and he had compassion on that son. And then a humble mind. Humble mind speaks of low-mindedness. Uh, it's contrasted with the, with the idea of pride. And for there to be unity of mind, by the way, there needs to be a humility of mind as well. You know, not only did Peter write about this, but Paul also wrote about this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Many of the same things in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, 
through 3 and says this, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And you see these same values that Peter was talking about of how we're to pursue life, especially with one another. And you see those same things here in Paul saying, this is what gives me the most joy. And by revelation, this is what gives my father the most joy is when my people, when our people are pursuing this. When this is their agenda, when this is what represents who they are, that gives joy to your heavenly father. I want to stay in this verse for a second. I want to talk to you just for a moment about, uh, I'm not a great English major, by the way. I'm not a great, you know, a scholar in those areas. I, but I do know a few things. And um, there's something called a chiasm. If we can go to the next slide. A chiasm, which is a rhetorical device where you have a statement and the second part reflects the first part. So if you think about the statement as A, B, B, A, uh, you'll see it with these examples. So like, these are just secular examples. Failing to plan is planning to fail. Or when the going gets tough, the tough get going. So this is a chiasm. And so this is a, a, a way of the writer trying to help you to remember this, but also there's a, there's a truth or an insight he wants you to have when you read this and you want to, he wants you to see something and think of something. Now we have in verse 8 here, we have another chiasm, but it's in the form of A, B, X, B, A. And so there's something in the middle that's even positioned there to be the most important piece, the center of your attention, to see that in this reflexive statement, there's something very central and very important in the center. The ideas are repeated in reverse order, where the middle is brotherly love in our example here. So the four things, that, the five things that we had here is unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind. Now think about this. And we just will spend a few moments on it. If brotherly love is what should characterize God's people, brotherly love, how do we get to these other things? Okay, so if you look here, the B's here are actually about how you should feel. And the A's are how you should think. And so this should hit everybody. We got the feelers and the thinkers here, you know. How do we get all these feelers and thinkers together, you know, to really demonstrate brotherly love? So let's think about this. Let's start with brotherly love. And so when Jesus was telling this story about the prodigal, the prodigal son, think about it this way. This father had a love for his son, so he probably thought about how this son was feeling. He was sympathizing with the son. He sympathized not with what had happened to him or what he thought was justice, but he started out thinking through, how is he feeling now? What has his life been like? What are his circumstances? 
What is the shame that he's coming back to? What are the fears he's, got, he's coming back to? And so he could sympathize with that. And that would take him to how he should think about that situation. How he should think about that son. Or think about it this way. We'll do another one. Brotherly love, starting with the center. This is what God has empowered us. This is what God has given us. He's given us one another. We are family with all our weaknesses and with all our sinfulness. We're family together and we are committed to love one another. And God's spirit is in us to give us that love. So how would we think through the brotherly love kind of beginnings with, uh, an adult, uh, with the adulterous woman? So we might go this way. First of all, how should I feel? I should have a tender heart towards this woman. A tender heart toward this woman. Like, where's the guy who this woman was sin- sinning with? And she was a, this, was a, this seems to have been a setup, you know, when this woman was dragged out in front of him. And she's received the ridicule and the shame of all these people. And he may have known more than we know. But starting from love, how do, how do I feel about this situation? And he, because he sympathizes, he can have, he can think about it through a tender heart. How should I feel about that? And that takes us to a humble mind. Men, how, all you who are accusing her, how, how do you think, how should you think about this? You've never sinned before. You've never done anything wrong. So you're going to pick up the stone and you're going to throw it at her? And so I think that there's something here that, that helps us to work toward these, these, these things in this ABXBA kind of a, an illustration. And so this would be helpful as you're thinking through how do I make progress in my relationship with the people I really don't want to be around you. I really don't like you. And I really don't like what you say and what you do. Again, God doesn't want us just to keep our mouth closed. Like when someone says something bad to you, like my mom and dad used to say, if, some, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. You know, that was kind of like the phrase. That, that's not enough for the Christian life. Because I think God wants us to go one more step further. So let's look at our next section here, verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So it says here, this is a calling of yours, not only to not say anything bad to that person, but to actually bless that person. To actually go further than, not, than doing nothing, nothing bad to them, but you actually are to do what really reflects Jesus Christ and actually bless that person. This is what it says here. Verse 10, For whoever desires to love life and see many good, day, good days... Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. 
This is Christianity, brothers and sisters. It's not just about avoiding the bad stuff out there. It's not just about holding your tongue. It's about when someone does something bad to you, says something bad to you, considering is there a way that I can bless that person? Is there something I could do to do good in that situation? Jesus said about the peace about the seeking peace idea in Matthew 5, 9, he said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. That's who God is. That's what he's like. He's a peacemaker. He's he's pursued that. That's why we're here. He's pursued peacemaking with his enemies. He's pursued people who've sinned against him, who rebelled against him, who use his name in cursing He's pursued us. And that's what his children are like. They're peacemakers. And especially in the church, this is necessary and important because John said in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's how we know that you're Christians because you love people even if they're not lovely, even if they don't agree, even if they're harsh. You pursue peace. You give a godly response and a blessing. And we'll just move quickly, but you know, back to the words of Jesus, who was one who were his followers. He says this in Luke 7, verse, starting verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. I mean, I think, Lord, can you, can you open my eyes to the reality of how far I am from any of these things? I don't even, I don't even like this. <laughs> you know, I'm doing my best just to count to 10. I'm trying to just crank it down a, little, a, few, a few notches so it's not quite so mean or harsh. He's telling me all these things. Verse 29, to the one who, who strikes you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Just even the way you wish they would treat you, then you'd be, you'd be the one that treats them that way. You, you set the example, or even if they don't follow the example, you just you be the one. Do what you would wish they would do to you, do that to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? There's no testimony if you're acting like everybody around you. There's no testimony. That doesn't say anything about the power of God or the love of God that's inside of us. For even sinners love those who love them. Verse 33. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. 
be merciful even as your Father is merciful. That, that so does not line up with most Christian counsel today. I, I don't know any Christian counselors that are counseling this. So if you don't like this, your fight is with Jesus, because I'm just reading you what he said. Deal with him. That's what I'm going to have to deal with. He's the one I have to argue with if I don't agree with him, okay? That's a heavy standard. And when I said in the beginning we're Laodicean, you know, when I prayed that Laodicean prayer, I'm just thinking, you know, we think we're rich. We think we're, I'm good with everybody, God. I'm doing pretty good. I'm not like them. I'm not like those people who just get on the internet and harangue people and harsh people and stuff like that. But am I doing good like this? Do I, do I go to that extent? Because if we go, went to that extent, Christians would be, have a totally different reputation, even in a world that's dark, especially in a world that's dark. If we were known to be like the Good Samaritan, if we were known to be like the father who was receiving back his son. Now I know that we, we've got our little checks, so like I want a little caveat here. I don't believe that there shouldn't be, dis, there shouldn't be justice. I'm not saying that. But generally, that's been given over to a different set of authorities. God has ordained a whole different set of authorities to make sure justice is kept. But this is Jesus talking with his disciples in a hostile environment, in a hostile world to Christianity. Be merciful, he says, even as your father is merciful. God has been merciful to me. God has been merciful to you. God has not given any of us what we deserve. Not even close. Not even close. And the third point we have here, believers receive a blessing. So this is kind of cool, and I know, that, I, know the, I know the thoughts that are going to come to all our minds is like, well, we shouldn't do this so that we get a blessing because, you know, we should just do this because we love Jesus, okay? But you know what? I get that, and I hope that's your motivation. But it's interesting that, that God knows our frame, and he knows who we are, and so he, he, makes, he makes additional blessings and promises that he plays. You know, if you do what I ask you to do, I'm going to bless you too, I'm going to give you a special blessing. And that's true of rewards in heaven. There's all kinds of things that God says, you know, if you just want to do it for me, that's great, but I'm going to actually, I'm going to reward you. I'm going to actually bless you. And where does it say that? Okay, right here in verse 8, it says this. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary... Bless, for to this you were called that, or we would say so that, you may obtain a blessing. If you live this way with your enemies, with people who revile you, I guarantee you, you're going to get blessed. You see, a lot, a lot, a lot of those people are going to become your friends. A lot of those people are going to do kind things back to you. A lot of those people may even come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Because they can't explain this. Nobody treats people like this unless God's in them. God's working through them. And then some of the blessing will be in heaven. Some of that blessing, it says here, so that you can obtain a blessing. That word obtain means inherit. So there's a future blessing that you're going to get. So even if you don't see, 
you know, evil people or people who reject you, people who refile you, people who do evil things to you, even if they, you don't see them change in this life, be assured that God sees and God will reward you in that day. But the implication here as we go on in the section is that the blessing also comes in this life. Because it says this, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You see, God is, God is watching now. And he is going to bring blessing on those who, who, who really honor his ways and honor his son and honor this gospel that we have. His eyes are on us. And he responds to those prayers. He responds to those, those, those gracious responses that you give. Those selfless, humble, considerate, gentle responses that you give. That makes a difference. It really does. To God and to those people that you, you have to live around. He's, when he quotes this section here in verse 10... Uh, for whoever desires to live life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil. He's actually quoting from Psalm 34 in verses 12 to 15. He went back to the Old Testament to kind of validate, to establish, like this is, what I'm telling you is, is, is actually what the scripture said. The Old Testament, this is, this is grounded in what God says of how we're to live our life. This is how you're going to be blessed. This is how you're going to enjoy life. This is how you're going to, you know, experience a good life, you know. When it says here that if you, if you want to love life and see good days, that doesn't assume that everything's going to go perfect for you. But in a, a fallen world with many, with many trials and many difficulties and many people opposing you, if you want to see good days, if you want to love life, be like Jesus. And even though his life was hard, he had a good life. Even if your life is hard, even if people don't, don't change around you, you, know, the, 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 you will experience a supernatural abundance. You know, Jesus said you know, that we would have if, uh, an abundant life. And that doesn't mean only in heaven. <laughs> That's here as well. And the, the surprising thing about the Christian life is you can suffer <laughs> And you can be misunderstood, mistreated, uh, taken advantage of, hurt. And you could still experience a life where you say, I love my life. I love my life. And I experience good days in this life in spite of all these things. I mean, I've read testimony of, of uh, imprisoned, tortured people who just they still love their lives. <laughs> they would say that their deepest, richest fellowship with God was in those, is in those prison cells. So know that where it says here that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, his ears are open to their prayer, God hears you. God's going to be close to you. God's going to console you. God will take care of you. Every time the scripture says, says, don't be afraid, he always said, because I'm going to be with you. 
Don't be afraid in your circumstance to do good or even if someone's taken advantage of you, Jesus says. He was telling things like, hey, if strike you on one side, give them the other side. He said, if they take your coat, give them, give them something else. You know, Go one mile with him. He says, take me one mile, I'll go with you too. You see, because that person has settled it in their mind that God is sovereign in their circumstances and bigger than their supply, bigger than what they think they have or don't have. There's an enjoyment, there's a contentment with God no matter what the circumstances. And God will draw near to you and you will know him in a way that most of us only get flickers of in terms of of taste of those things. Because this is the life of Christ. You've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when we experience this, when he talks about the abundant life and he talks about you know, a hundred times friends and, follow, and brothers and sisters. And he usually adds in there along with persecutions. <laughs> because when you're in the life of Jesus and the intimacy of Jesus, in one sense, you're going to lose out. In one sense. But not in the greatest sense. And not in the ultimate sense. You won't. So one proper motive for righteous living is the blessing of this life. Not necessarily all freedoms from suffering in this life, but more spiritual, more psychological, more personal uh, than maybe the physical, the material things that you may think that you, 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 want, you want to make sure you hold on to those too. So the big idea again for our time is do not repay evil with evil, but bless and do good, that you may be blessed. If I could have the worship team come and join me at this time. You know, as we close out and we prepare for communion together, uh, there was a verse that we've already looked at in 1 Peter chapter 2 um, in earlier. Uh, 1 Peter 2, verses 21 to 25, and it says this, For to this you have been called... Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. But when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. We don't have to be the way the world is. We don't have to copy the world. We don't have to. We have more offered to us. We have more strength. We have more example. We have more grace to us than the world will ever have. Verse 24 again. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. That's the one that we follow. 
That's who our life, that our life is bound up in him. So as we, as we take communion together at this time and just reflect, because how can we live this life? Well, we, we, need, to, we need to see more of him. We need to, to understand his ways. We need to receive his life.